Hey, everybody. We have a very exciting announcement today. The polls have closed and you've made your choice. From this day forward, our adopted female whale shark, MXA-130, will be known as Plessy the Plankton Processor. It was a close call between that and destiny. In fact, it was a tie, so we had to ask our son to cast a decisive tie-breaking vote. I have to admit, I'm a little bit bummed that Love Bun wasn't more popular. (laughs) (laughs) Now, whenever we get an update about Plessy's comings and goings, we'll make sure to let you all know. Thanks so much to everyone who voted in the poll on our Patreon page. We had a lot of fun with it. And speaking of our Patreon, here are our new awesome patrons this week. Sophie Olson, Ava Harris of Norton, Massachusetts, Berta Liao, Kristen Bogue, and Anna Martin. Thank you all so much for your support. If you want to join these awesome people, please go to patreon.com slash tumblepodcast and make a pledge. Our patrons help us keep making Tumble, and we appreciate them so much. So, 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 so much. We love you all. We also wanted to let you know that we have a new partner. We've begun working with ListenWise, which produces great classroom materials for audio content like NPR and our podcast. If you're a teacher who uses Tumble in your classroom and you've wanted customizable quizzes, worksheets, and other activities to use along with the podcast, definitely check it out. I know that as a teacher myself, I always love it when I can get easily downloadable content to help my students out. ListenWise is great for that. We can't wait to share it with you. This episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible has a special offer for parents of Tumble listeners. Enjoy books in a whole new way. Listen anywhere, anytime. Try Audible free by texting AUDIBLE to 28325. Audible has an unmatched selection of audiobooks, as you probably already know, but did you know they also have excellent original audio shows, one of which I produce and Marshall creates the music and it's called Extra Credit? I did know that, and I love how you can use the app to browse what feels like an infinite amount of audio. You'll never run out of things to listen to. One book parents might be interested in is Confessions of an Alien Hunter by Seth Shostak. If you want to learn more about the search for extraterrestrial life after the episode, it's a must-read. Seth offers an insider's view through the past, present, and future of the search and what we might expect to find when we find intelligent life. To check it out, text AUDIBLE to 28325. That's AUDIBLE to 28325 for a free trial. Hi, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Marshall. Welcome to Tumble, the show where we explore stories of science discovery. Today, we're on the hunt for aliens. We'll find out how scientists are searching the vast expanse of the universe to find intelligent life. Turns out, aliens might be listening to the radio. Which means that they have Justin Bieber's music stuck in their heads, too. Hi, I'm Daniel. I'm nine and I'm from New Zealand. My question is, are we alone in space or is there any other life forms out there? The age-old question... Do aliens exist? What do you think? 
I think it would explain why some people wear the clothes they wear at festivals. I got interested in this because one night I saw something in the sky. Did he see a UFO? An unidentified flying object? I mean, we know the truth is out there. It is. There's a lot of solar systems and planets out there. And scientists could use the Humble Telescope or something like that to look into planets and find out. No one has found the answer to Daniel's question yet. I imagine if we did know the answer, we'd probably have heard about it and you wouldn't just be hearing about it on a podcast. (laughs) We would not be breaking news right here, right now on Tumble. Scientists are looking and I talked to one of them. My name is Seth Shostak, and I am senior astronomer at the SETI Institute here in lovely, glamorous Mountain View, California. SETI, that's the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. The SETI Institute is dedicated to looking for life outside our planet. So Seth hears from a lot of people like Daniel who think they've seen something. Usually once a day, somebody will call me up or they'll send me an email and they say, look, uh, you know, I saw something. I think it may be extraterrestrials and, uh, you know, I think you ought to take a look at it. It seems like it's almost human nature to want to believe that there's something more out there. Or to ask when we're looking up at the stars, are we alone? I'm sure that the question is as old as humanity. It wasn't until we started to look at the stars through a scientific lens that anyone thought we could find signs of life on other planets. Beginning with the invention of the telescope around 1600, people look at the moon and they see all these sort of craters and they say, well, these look like cities to us. The telescopes really weren't that great back then, so there was probably a lot of room left over for the imagination. A lot of space between your eye and that planet. All imagination. (laughs) A hundred years ago, people thought there were canals on Mars, and the experiment to prove that involved just looking at Mars through a telescope. There was one guy named Percival Lowell who practically invented the idea of Martians. He believed that he could see canals on the surface of Mars, waterways built by intelligent life. Like little green men, like Marvin the Martian? Exactly. Other astronomers were skeptical, though, because they couldn't see the canals Lowell was talking about. (laughs) These canals you're talking about, uh, not there, dude. Yeah. His theories were completely disproved when we got better telescopes and actually saw the surface of Mars. So when did scientists start to take the search for alien life seriously? Modern experiments to look for life in space began really in 1960, when a fellow by the name of Frank Drake used an antenna in West Virginia and pointed that antenna in the direction of a couple nearby stars, hoping to eavesdrop on radio signals. So wait, did he say radio signals? Like, do they listen to NPR? When they land, will they say, take us to click and clack the Tappet Brothers? (laughs) Their jokes are so delightful. They helped us repair our spaceship. Well, <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> but that same technology of radio waves that carry our voices and our music might help us make contact with aliens. In the same way that you can send messages with, you know, just using a flashlight or even a mirror in the sunlight, you know, flashing your buddy down the street there, uh, some sort of Morse code message. You can also use radio to do that. And radio goes through space. 
So radio can be a way to pass notes through space, like aliens writing a little folded piece of paper, I like you, Earth. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. And the radio waves Seth is talking about aren't the same kind you get in your car. The transmissions are much more powerful, and they're pointed at distant galaxies. So this kind of astounded people. They realized that even in the, you know in, in in the late 1950s we already had technology that would allow you to send bits of information from one star system to another to think people were just making silly little radio programs with this powerful technology i know podcasts are a huge improvement <laughs> <laughs> so frank drake thought that if our radio waves might be reaching far into outer space maybe there are aliens out there broadcasting straight to us There are planets out there that are billions of years older than the Earth. So if there's anybody on those planets, right, they've had more time to develop their technology than we have. Maybe they figured out that, you know, if you want to send a message to, I don't know, a spacecraft that's far away from you or to some colony you have on another planet far away, you might use radio to do that, radio waves, because they go through space and they go as fast as anything can go. Back on our home planet in 1960, Frank Drake was using radio waves to study the universe. He was doing astronomy, but then he realized that, doggone it, this same equipment, these giant antennas that he had, could be used to try and eavesdrop on signals from from aliens that could be, you know, just ricocheting around the, the universe, and all he would have to do is just point the antenna at the sky, at some nearby stars, which might have planets, and and hope to pick up a signal. So did he get anything? No, but the idea caught on. Everybody got very excited because they thought, wow, this is really neat. We might be able to find the aliens without having to, you know, build rockets that we can't build to go and find them or wait for them to land in the backyard. Beginning in the 1970s, NASA got involved. They actually uh, started a, a whole experiment to do this on a big scale. Unfortunately, that project was canceled in 1993. When NASA quit the business of alien hunting, there were still plenty of people who thought it was worthwhile. One of the founders of Microsoft helped the SETI Institute, where Seth works, build the radio telescopes they use to search for intelligent life. But we put it in the mountains because... uh, You know, the mountains kind of block all the interference, all the radio signals from San Francisco and other places here that would otherwise confuse you. But if you visited there, you'd see 42 antennas. These are pretty big antennas. You'd you'd have a hard time getting them into your house, but you could fit one in the backyard. And uh, these 42 antennas work as a team. They all get pointed in the same direction. So they're listening for radio signals from aliens? Yes. They have extremely powerful receivers attached to those antennas. So your car radio can pick up a bunch of channels. These radio telescopes can pick up many, many more. Because we don't know where the aliens are going to be broadcasting, where on the dial they might be. We have uh, receivers that can listen to 50 million different channels all at the same time. 50 million channels? I mean, so it's got to be like a 100% chance that you're going to find some alien pop songs. No, it's basically dead air. Dead air? So like no signs of life, no like... Very distant Alpha Centauri. (laughs) You know, this is not a kind of experiment where you're close. Either you found them or you haven't found them. And they haven't found them for 50 years since Frank Drake started his experiments. Yeah, 50 years is a long time, but the equipment has not been so very good 
for most of that time, where we could look at more than one star system at a time. So what exactly is the point of monitoring 50 million channels if you don't hear anything for 50 years? That's like 250 million year channels. <laughs> channel years. They're called channel years. <laughs> well, just because they haven't found anything yet doesn't mean they're never going to find anything. It's been said it's like going down to the ocean with a, you know, with a cup and taking out a cup of water and looking in and say, hey, see any fish? No. Well, I wonder, maybe that means there are no fish in the ocean. No, it doesn't. It just means you didn't look at enough ocean. There are a couple of hundred billion star systems, just like our solar system, in our own galaxy, the Milky Way. Multiply that by a hundred billion galaxies in the universe, and you get the idea that there are a lot of places left to look. But are radio waves the only way to look? Like, couldn't aliens communicate other ways? Yes, there, there are other ways to look for ET instead of radio waves. You could look for flashing lights in the sky. That's one thing. And in fact, we're building some equipment to do that because you don't know. Maybe the aliens are just, you know, flashing lasers at you every two weeks. Well, if an alien really wanted to drive us crazy, that would be a great way to do it. It's kind of like flashing a laser pointer at a cat. You want to make the humans jump? Watch what they do when we flash at them. <laughs> the other idea is that there's some mysterious things in space that make these very, very brief flashes of radio waves and light waves. They're called fast radio bursters. These fast radio bursters are currently a mystery of science. They could be an alien communication or they could just be something weird happening in a black hole somewhere. Like a message from the overcat. <laughs> but astronomers are determined to find out what they are and where or who they're coming from. But what if, like Daniel asked, there is no intelligent life out there? We will never know that the answer is no, right? Because if you don't find something, that doesn't mean that it's not out there. It just means that you didn't find it. I guess it's pretty hard to prove that something isn't there. That's true in science in general. It also means that we'll be looking for intelligent life for a long time. There is no quitting in alien hunting. At least not for Seth. He has this insane curiosity about this question that we all ask, and he's pursuing the answer. Very interesting. That's what science is about. Curiosity, just to know whether... Our planet is the only one that has not only life, but intelligent life, or is intelligent life and, and life in general, is that just all over the place and, you know, this is just one more place? It, it would be really interesting to know the answer to that. It's not just the SETI Institute looking for the answer. A research program called Breakthrough Listen is using super powerful telescopes around the world to search one million stars for radio signals and laser signals. Some of the most famous scientists in the world are helping out. They haven't found anything yet, but with aliens, you're never close to finding the answer. When we find them, we'll know. We want to know what you think. Will we find other intelligent life in the universe? And if so, what kind of clothes might they wear? What kind of food might they eat? What kind of sports would they play? Would they be fans of LeBron? <laughs> of course they would. His skills are undeniable. That's true. <laughs> Even extraterrestrials could appreciate it. 
Seth Shostak is senior astronomer at the SETI Institute. When he's not searching for aliens, he makes a radio show and podcast like any sane person who has a tiny bit of extra time on their hands would. It's called Big Picture Science. And remember, Seth Shostak's book, Confessions of an Alien Hunter, is available on Audible. This is a book written for adults, so we do recommend parents giving it a read first. Listeners can get his audiobook for free with a 30-day trial membership by going to audible.com slash tumble. Again, that's audible.com slash tumble. Also thanks to Daniel from New Zealand for his awesome question. Keep looking for aliens, Daniel. Check out our blog at tumblepodcast.com to learn more about SETI and the weird and wonderful tale of when people thought there were canals on Mars. And as always, we'll really appreciate it if you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you haven't already. Our intern is Andrea Gonzalez. Sarah Lentz is our associate producer. I'm Lindsay, and I wrote and produced this show. And I'm Marshall Escamilla, and I wrote all the music. Tune in next time for more stories of science discovery.